Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Lonzo. Everybody, welcome to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where ever since that crazy solar eclipse of 2017 came and did its eclipsing thing on us all last week, the NBA has come in like gangbusters all of a sudden to interrupt our perfectly lazy snooze fest of an August with Lakers tampering allegations and one of the craziest shakeups the league has ever seen with the Celtics and Cavs swapping key players. But when it comes to the Lakers, the only solar eclipse you'll be seeing this year is a reverse engineered one with a light-skinned takeover assuming center stage with Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma. And I guess the reverse eclipse parallel is even more so fitting when thinking about the way Lonzo just came in and supplanted D'Angelo Russell as the future face of the franchise at point guard. Isn't that right, Tommy? Yes. All right. Well, we've got a special show today with one of our favorite guests and one of our earlier friends of the podcast. But before we reintroduce him, per usual, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Alan Riley and Tommy Alexander. And fellas, how are you guys feeling about the NBA coming back in full force here to help us quickly usher in the new season, which is now, crazily enough, less than a month away? Alan? Yeah, it cannot come soon enough. Uh, thank God for all the you know, crazy news that's been coming out, not not the Laker tampering thing, but uh, definitely excited, and these next few weeks are going to be agonizingly long, as happy as I am about the Dodgers just being so good, uh, I also cannot wait for basketball season. 
Tommy, I know you're not feeling well tonight, but how are you feeling about the NBA ramping up again all of a sudden? I'm excited for it to come back. Um, I can't believe it's starting like two weeks, a full, like a solid two weeks earlier than it normally does. And I can't believe we normally even wait two weeks longer than we're uh, <laughs> waiting this summer because this has just been like excruciating. I don't know what happened this year, but it's just the anticipation is killing me. Maybe because the off season has been so crazy. You just kind of want to see how everything plays out. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited for it to start and, and uh, ready to see how everything looks. Definitely. Totally agree. Um, so today I actually got to visit the Lakers sleek new training facility thanks to a friend of mine who works for the Lakers and it is the real deal. It is super legit and I think it's going to play a huge factor in helping lure future free agents for sure. And I'm just going to leave that as a tease for our next episode where we'll, where we'll go more in depth. Um, at my crazy little tour I was able to receive, as well as talk about some pretty in- interesting, relevant tidbits that were relayed to me about the inner workings of this new regime. So stay tuned for that episode coming out around Labor Day weekend. Um, just thought I'd tease things a little in an effort to help curate our podcasting lives as much as we can during these summer days. So I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Not mean. Okay. But yeah, we've got a very special and fun end of summer episode today with a very special guest that everyone is familiar with. Uh, before we introduce him, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes because the more you rate interview us, the more Boston Celtics slander will continue to hear and see and read from future Laker LeBron James and maybe future Laker Isaiah Thomas as well. So please also consider donating to our Patreon page linked at the top of our Twitter bio section, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. And yeah, that's it. But the best you can do for us right now is just rate and review us on iTunes. So with all that house cleaning out of the way, I think it's time to introduce our, our next guest. Alan, if you had to embody and channel the essence of our next guest here today, how would you go about doing that? And would you say you could do it in an operatic fashion? Uh, 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 um. His name is Pete. He has our backs, and we love his analysis of the Lakers. And he's amazing, and he's great, and we love him, and he's here with us tonight! Thank you, Pete! (laughs) Is that Shaq doing? Shaq doing? (laughs) Alright, with that said... Today, we form the Lakers podcast version of Voltron, as we are proud and privileged to have the one and only Pete Zayas at Laker Film Room on with us. Pete, welcome aboard. How's it going? <laughs> I'm good, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> Better now that you're here. Man. <laughs> w- what, did you think of, what, do you, what did you think of that impression, Pete? It's good. You know, he's a little flat, but, you know, he's, uh, he, he's on the right track. <laughs> uh... You know, you know, I, I actually, I rarely do this because I leave it to Alan and our, our impressionist extraordinaire Tommy to do it. But um, here's my impression of you, right? <clears throat> I believe that D'Lo is slow and plays no defense, never has and never will. Bravo. Right, Excellent. That's my, um, that's my Pete Zayas impression. What's, what's really key, Jonathan, is the over-enunciation. And you re- you really nailed that <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you you would be perfect in a in a Disney Disney animated film, by the way. Like as a villain, <laughs> man. This this uh, podcast has gone off the rails really quick. New record, but yeah, 
<laughs> Pete, thanks for coming on. Um, I don't know if people know this, but we've had Pete on several times before, but this is actually the first time since Pete has started his own critically acclaimed The Laker Film Room podcast that he's hopped on our show. So it's always really cool and also at the same time really humbling to, um, you know, hear fans talk about us in conjunction, stumble across random Reddit threads debating which Lakers podcast is the best and even be named in the same or even be mentioned in the same breath as Laker Film Room and then also oh, see please. random debates go on pitting us against each other. Like I'd really take offense to people preferring Laker Film Room over Lakers Legacy. Heck, I prefer the former to this podcast, so cosign. But I guess for a lot of people who have hopped onto the podcast train the last year or so, I, you know, there have been a lot of great Laker podcasts and content that have uh, risen recently. And I think what many people don't know is that we actually had Pete on a year and a half ago for his very first podcast appearance. And I remember back then I jokingly quipped that if he just started his own podcast, he's, he'd easily surpass us. And all I can say is I spoke that into existence. So way to go, Jonathan. <laughs> I thank you. <laughs> I think this past year, a lot of people in general just saw our show, saw it had a random following, maybe listened to an episode or two, and then realized, what the heck, if these bozos with no affiliation to any Lakers website or blog with no discernible basketball skills or pedigree can start a Lakers podcast and gain a fan base, then surely I can. And to that, I'd say, yes, you're all right. But I will give us credit for cornering the Lakers podcast market inefficiency first. So there you go. But we are glad to have the likes of Laker Film Room with us. So... Pete, welcome back. How's it going? And how's the podcast game been treating you since you started? I know you were nervous about it at the start, but how have you adjusted to it all and uh, I guess found your groove in a way? So first off, I'm, I'm flattered and both and rolling my eyes pretty hard at that intro right there. Um, you, you guys are good at what you do, man. No, seriously, like you guys, uh, thank you. you guys understand how to like, sh- do I, can I cuss on this record or no? Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, you guys know how to shoot the shit, you know what I mean? Like, and, and still talk about the Lakers and, you know, talk about, uh, you know, topics that are germane to what everybody's interested in, but feel like, you know, you're having a beer with everybody and, you know, so you guys know what you're doing. You're, you're very, uh, self-deprecating, but you're good at what you do. And that's why this is, you know, one of my favorite shows to come on. Uh, I think this is the most I've ever been on a show. I think this is my third appearance. <laughs> Yeah, we just keep forcing you to do it, but we appreciate that. <laughs> not a, not at all, not at all, man. Um, as far as podcasting goes, man, it's it's similar, you know. Like you said, it's uh, I'm just a you know Joe with a microphone, right? So it's uh, you know, I, I Darius and I try and get into the in in depth a bit, and one thing that's great about uh that I love about doing the show is Darius and I are very much birds of a feather, and uh, what we do is you know we'll hit stop whenever we're done recording. And then we'll just talk basketball for another 20, 30 minutes like the show was recording as it always was. So it's good. And you guys have a similar vibe on uh, Lakers Legacy, right? Where it's like dudes really get along and that, uh, you know, you know, kind of kindred spirits. So I I really enjoy it. Awesome. Awesome. I'm speaking for myself, having this platform. It's been really rewarding and really cool, especially when it comes to interacting with the Lakers fans, especially on Twitter. I think it's been a huge trip in the way I, I think you, you can probably attest to this as well, especially when it comes to the actual uh, threads that can go on the rabbit hole threads that can go on on Twitter. Um, yeah, for me, it's been a trip in, in the way that we can often catch ourselves getting into these debates and arguments that we know we should eject from, but we engage in anyways, right? And, uh, I think one thing that's been, uh, a little, it's, it's taken a, a bit of an adjustment to get used to is, uh, the way that some people, and maybe we can call them haters, um, 
come off as somewhat entitled when they engage us in debates, or even in the ways that they email us, or or maybe even write a Reddit post about us complaining about certain aspects of our show, or even the opinions we hold, as if we should capitulate to their demands of how to run our show, or how we should adopt the opinions they hold. When at the end of the day, I just want to say we are fans ourselves with our own damn opinions, and none of what we say is, thus saith the Lord. We just try to stay as well informed as possible, take into account as much context as possible, and then give our honest takes in that moment in time. And that's not to say we're right in that moment in time, and it could easily change and we could easily eat crow the next week. So I don't know if you've had the same experience. Has that frustrated you a little bit about just how all of a sudden you're just kind of getting like an influx of so many ideas and thoughts that are maybe uh badgering you a little i don't know if that makes any sense yeah no really i take it all in stride it's it's you know part of growing a following and i I take it as an indicative of that i don't think there's anybody who in any realm that has any bit of following that doesn't have people that think they're overrated or that they're they're idiots or that you know any way that that manifests itself and i mean twitter's great for the mute button you know and i use that quite (laughs) quite liberally and it they, like they don't even knock me off my stride like i i'm somebody that again there's two sides to the whole like i'm just a guy with a mic thing right on one end like i want people to be able to talk to me and if i don't care how many twitter followers you have i mean like what does that matter right or you know whether it's on reddit or twitter or whatever like hey, let's just talk hoops and if you ask me a question or if you give me an opinion like hey i think what do you think about this like i'm gonna talk i'm i'm, I'm gonna shoot the shit back with you right and and like mm-hmm. that's it from the other side of it though it's it's a golden rule thing type of thing where like if you're a dick to me like i'm gonna be a dick back to you or if you're <laughs> a raving moron i'm just gonna mute you like i don't stop and talk to the crazy homeless dude that's yelling in a trash can and get in an argument with them like I keep walking. <laughs> so why wouldn't I do that on Twitter? Now, mind you, I, I, you know, just sometimes I don't take my own advice, right? But I'm not going to trip on people doing that. Like, like you're a Laker fan. I'm a Laker fan. Let's talk basketball. It's no more complicated than that. Right, right. And I, I totally agree with you. And I only experience like... Um, like a 10% of what you experience. Like, like, I, my, my Twitter interaction and my, my interaction in general is like a microcosm of what, what you take in. So the fact that you're able to keep perspective is really great. And I, I'd advise Tommy and Alan are, are you know, aren't privy to, to this land because they don't, they're not too active on their Twitter and they don't really engage, which is great. I'd advise them not to because it totally takes over your life. And <laughs> sometimes I'm just like, I got, I got to log off, man, or something like that. I know a lot of people feel that way as well. A, a large faction of Lakers Twitter who have any sort of following. Um, I guess the one thing, I think the most interesting, I guess, most frustrating part for me has been the aspect of, for the most part, we have fairly consistent listeners who know the way we think, who know that we're silly, but also know we've got depth to our discussions and include a lot of really smart context and perspective. But even in spite of that, the minute we present an idea or a take that's counter to an opinion they strongly hold on to, some will immediately throw the baby out with the bathwater and call us stupid, uninformed, etc., etc. And yet they'll come back for the episode where we dig deeply into the Lakers cap situation and detail six different scenarios that the Lakers can realistically take in order to get player X or keep player Y. So for me, it's all really trippy. Some fans not able to keep that perspective, or I don't want to call them fans, but even listeners, you know what I mean? I don't know if you've experienced that where, you know, you, f- you feel like you've gained enough of a strong, like, hold and grasp on, on your, on, on your listener base that they know like even if you throw out like a bad opinion or a bad take that hey these are fairly well-informed guys and i should continue to just ride this stride but some will literally go 
stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we're emotional about this, right? Like these are our soap operas as guys is watching sports and it's, mm-hmm. you know, like we get, we get into, we get invested in players. We get invested in hating players. We get invested in, in hating teams and loving to, and, and all of these different storylines that go along with the NBA that, um, you know, it's all part of the, t- the territory. So, uh, you know, I, I think it, it speaks to kind of our inability to disagree with each other uh, when we have the luxury of anonymity. And I think that that's the big thing that I've seen change kind of, you know, growing up without the Internet, my teenagers and whatnot, and that, mm-hmm. that becoming a thing when I was a teenager, you know, uh, that was something that, you know, it it, uh, it changed how we interact with each other. Like, there, it's just the basic rule, like, would you say this to my face or would I say this to your face? And I, and I do want to say, like, the vast, vast, vast majority of people that I interact with on Twitter are cool, man. Like, they, they just want to talk just like I do about about the Lakers yeah. and about basketball, right? So it, I also try to keep in perspective, like, if I get, you know, 10 people that tell me, hey, I really like your stuff, you know, you uh, – you know, thanks for the work that you do. And one guy saying, you're an idiot. You know, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I'm not going to dwell on the one guy that says I'm an idiot. Definitely, definitely. It's just it's just hilarious that they're the most vocal sometimes, right? Um, but with that said, uh, Tommy Allen, do you have any uh, podcast-related questions for Pete or his journey the last year before we move on? I mean, I do want to say thanks for having our backs <laughs> with that one hilarious <laughs> email from the guy that must have taken his dear sweet time composing that thing just to hate on us. <laughs> um, like... Reading that, it really made me laugh. I'm like, dang, this guy is very passionate. I'll give him credit. And then you came back with an amazing rebuttal. Um, and it obviously gave us some material for tonight. And if I'm ever in a bad mood, all I got to do is play that YouTube video and it's instantly <laughs> going to put a smile on my face. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's all I got to say. And as far as like haters and whatnot, like, I love it when people say, the guy's impressions are stupid. They're so cringeworthy. They don't even sound like the people. It's like, dude, I'm not on Saturday Night Live. Like, I've never tried to make a career out of this whatsoever. It's just a dumb thing that I've always done, and I get a kick out of it, and Tommy and Jonathan laugh at it. So that's that's really all I care about. And if you think I'm stupid, well, keep listening to me be stupid, and that's good enough. <laughs> Tommy, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to kind of echo this, the same sentiments. Uh, I wanted to say, uh, Pete, we really appreciate having you on. Um, anybody who thinks your podcast isn't good or has criticisms is in my eyes an idiot. So I think we should just have, we should, we should get our Twitter accounts linked or something. And whoever you mute automatically mutes on ours because I don't want to deal with those people either. So. <laughs> Dude, that is a great function, but, uh, P- sorry, Pete, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I would, I was just going to say about the, the, uh, song and whatnot. That was a kind of harmonic convergence of several things. I had a, uh, you know, I got a new girlfriend. We've been together about four or five months, about four months now. And uh, oh, I know, I know, go. I know. <laughs> and uh, we had made like we'd made dinner. It was this nice steak. Had some wine with it. And that was the first time that I'd got that I'd like let myself go enough to get a little drunk in front of her. And so like I'm feeling good. Just had a great dinner. It's a good night I'm with my new girl. You know, it's just like one of those nights, right? I'm in a great mood. And then you, I see that and I'm like, this looks like a freaking song. This is great. And I, I, I will say that unlike the guy who typed that out, I did not take my time uh, with my rebuttal. That was one take of just like, all right, I'm going to do this one chord progression the whole time and BS throughout all of it and just ridiculous because I had the lyrics in front of me, right? So yep, it was just one of those things, and 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 the 
you know, sometimes Twitter life and this whole online life can come back to bite you in the ass. Like two days later, we had uh, some mutual friends over and they're her friends, right? And so I'm like the new boyfriend and they're getting to know me or whatnot. And I was going to pick up dinner for all of us and I get back and she's like, Oh, I showed them your video of this. And I'm like, you what? And like, like, I've met them a couple of times and like enough to be like, yeah, I'm cool with them. But like, not in a like, because there's so much that needs to be explained, like why this is funny and why she's not dating a 13 year old. (sighs) So they they, they outwardly were amused, but I'm still a little bitter about that. I love the out of context. Here's Pete singing. It's like, what? (laughs) The D'Angelo Russell per 36 song, if nobody knows. Like you said, Pete, it was such a random night. I think Lakers Twitter crashed that night. I think we all like joined you in pure, I don't even know, delusion and delirium. Delirium, yeah. Uh, It was great. Uh, Delirium, yeah. Uh, It was super kismet, like you said. If, if If nobody knows what we're talking about, Back in July, um, I just randomly screenshotted an, a hater email that, you know, a listener or whatever, um, sent to us about how he hated that we had D'Angelo Russell's back, couldn't understand why we ever thought D'Angelo Russell was good in any way, and that Lonzo Ball was going to win us six championships on his own, and we should stop, uh, kissing D'Angelo Russell's ass. And, uh, it just so happened that he wrote the email and, like, in segments that look like haikus or stanzas or whatever. And I, I tagged Pete and his, his brother Tom in the screenshot tweet just because I know that they've gotten hater email before and it's been hilarious. So they understood. And from there, yeah, Pete, Pete was kind of buzzed and he, he took it all the way from there, got our back and it, it turned, it like blew up. It literally blew up. So it was really cool to be a part of that and then to see another, another side of you. Um, if anybody watched, par- watches Parks and Recreation, it's, it's much like Ron Swanson has that, uh, Duke Silver, uh, persona and alter ego that he has. So that that's Pete. Do you have do you have a name for yourself? Your 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 musician self? That's that's good, man. No, I don't off the top of my head. I I think uh I got to be more into one hit wonder to kind of earn a earn a name for that. But we'll see. We'll see what uh I have no doubt Lakers Twitter will provide adequate material for perhaps a comeback someday. Yeah, you're like the James Dean of uh, uh hidden musical talents or, or something. <laughs> um, anyways, uh. We've, we've dwelled on just like this shooting, shooting the shit stuff and enough. Um, really cool to hear that extra context from Pete and what's going on in his, his love life, I guess. Um, but, but let's move on to more relevant topics with the Lakers and, uh, yeah, and, and the NBA at large. Um, quickly, just because when I release this episode, I'm not really sure if this will all be solved by then, but I'd like to get your take anyways, Pete, on, these Lakers tampering charges. Actually, let's get Tommy in here first because he is the lawyer. And Tommy, could you explain to us what the Lakers could possibly be pegged for in these recent tampering charges that the Pacers have filed? And do you think there's anything substantial here that could happen to them? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's really like a legal thing, but I, I mean, there's a, there's like a very, I think fairly vague rule around tampering in the NBA, which is basically no, no one associated with one team can try to induce anybody associated with another team to to leave their team and join you know the the first person's team so basically it's like we think of it commonly with players and in this lakers instance it's affiliated with a player but theoretically it could it could be like an assistant coach that's why you hear like oh such and such team granted permission to the lakers to interview their assistant coach for a for a position you know what i mean it's it's Mm -hmm. 
it's uh, pretty broad and vague. So in this case, I think the thing that the NBA would be looking for, is there any communication involving anybody with the Lakers, whether that's, I feel like player to player tampering, they really do not enforce for whatever reason. I think they think it's like good for the NBA. Maybe it's, but that's the whole thing about this. It's kind of stupid, right? So I I think in this specific case, they're choosing to police. Is there anything that Magic Johnson or Jeannie Buss or Rob Palenka have done to, you know, directly to Paul George to induce him to come to the Lakers while he's under contract or was under contract at the time with the Pacers. And again, it's vague. Like is magic Johnson going on Jimmy Kimmel and responding to a question that Jimmy Kimmel asked him with a joke, like clearly a joke. He's like laughing as he's saying it and everybody's laughing and like, this is his personality. And he didn't even like look at the camera and say, Paul George, I'm talking to you. He just like was responding to a hypothetical situation. And I I think ultimately there, you know, it's like they said the Lakers have been cooperating to what extent they're cooperating. I don't know. Like the firm that is in charge of handling this investigation is like the second biggest firm in the country. So are they look reading every single email that Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka have sent for the last, you know, two, three months? I don't know. It's, it's possible, but I, I don't think they're going to, if they're, if they're smart anyway, there's not going to be anything in there. So it's like pointless. Um, and I think ulti- that like, so they're going to be looking for that kind of stuff. Do I think they're going to find anything? Probably not. And I don't, I don't think they tampered in like the traditional sense. You know what I mean? I think maybe they, maybe they reached out to certain people to like float ideas around. But if anybody would know about how to like tamper and not get caught or, you know, in the, in the strictest sense of the word, strictest sense of the word, if anybody would know how to tamper and not get caught, it would theoretically be Rob Palenka. So I'm not really that worried about it. Yeah. And I think even with regards to Magic Johnson, I think he even brought up the fact that he can't say anything on Jimmy Kimmel. He said that would be tampering. Uh, I think, the worry here is that I, I don't know where this came from, but there may be some talk that maybe Magic Johnson reached out to some of Paul George's relatives. I don't know where that's coming from necessarily. I just saw something on, on Twitter, so don't take my word for it. But if, if that's the case, obviously, and, you know, Magic Johnson did reach out to some family members, then that could be very questionable. But I don't think they'd still be able to really suss out what those conversations even entailed or what, what what specifically happened in those conversations if they did happen. So, so yeah, right now the, the, that investigation is going on and, and the Lakers have to, you know, forward over emails, texts, phone calls, et cetera, et cetera. So Pete, yeah, I don't know if you have a take on this and, and uh, if you think the Lakers could possibly pe- be pegged for anything here, or if at the end of the day, the Pacers are just kind of doing their petty due diligence to try and catch the Lakers with their hand in the cookie jar, so to say. I think all it is is a middle finger from the Pacers. You know, it's a small Mm -hmm. bit of uh, pushback that they can give for – the Lakers have been very brash about – and they've made no secret about their two-max plan, and they certainly uh, have not been subtle about who they want right now. They have not come Mm -hmm. out and said, we want Paul George to come play for the Lakers. But every bit of uh, intimation that's come out about it, he's obviously the guy that we've talked about, right? And, and you know, they've certainly made their efforts behind the scenes. I would be absolutely shocked if the Lakers were uh, 
busted in any way. I think it's difficult to prove. It's difficult to gather the information that they would need. And you would have to be galactically stupid to tamper in a traceable way. Like it's not even hard to get away with it, which is why the whole league does it. So I think what it is is it's the Pacers saying, hey, you know, you've been – everybody does this, but you've been way too like – you've been way too forward about trying to steal my girl. You know what I mean? And – you know, like, I, we can't do much about it, but we can kind of try to embarrass you. We can't try to put this out in public. But at the end of the day, this is only, only once, uh, in, in my recollection in NBA history, has somebody been busted for, um, for tampering or for illegal contact, which is, uh, Joe Smith signing with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were right. dumb enough to like write all of this stuff down, like write all of the illegal stuff <laughs> yeah. that they were doing down. And like, if that's the case, I mean, like, I guess anything's possible that, you know, maybe, maybe Magic was really careless. I doubt it was Palenka. I doubt it was anybody else. But I, I, even for Magic, like, I think I'd be stunned if that happened. So I, I just think it's it's a way of them, you know, ro- you know, flexing their muscles to the very small extent that they can. Yeah, Alan, did you want to – Alan threw out a good analogy about, like, an instant replay kind of thing happening here. Do you want to share that? Yeah, it's like there has to be evidence within a shadow of a doubt. You know what I mean? Like, does the do the rules prohibit any contact <laughs> with these players while they're under contract? Or is it like there has to be proof that you are actually trying to recruit him? Because like Magic said, if I see Paul George, you know, walking down the street, I can say hello to him because I know who he is. So yeah. I don't know if let's just say magic did make contact with Paul George's relatives and he went to like their big family reunion or something like, is that illegal? Because maybe they could have been talking about football or baseball the entire time. Um, so yeah, I don't think the rules prohibit contact. It's the substance of that contact. And how the heck do you even prove what that, what they were talking about unless they were bugged, you know, with a it's, wire? Yeah. Right. No, it's, it's definitely a vague standard. And like you said, it's not contact. It has to be like evidence that they tried to induce him to do something he wouldn't have otherwise done, which how are you going to prove that? You know what I mean? How are you going to say like, oh, Paul George would have never demanded a trade if it wasn't for like this cell phone log where we see that Rob Palinka called his agent like, uh, you know, who knows what he was? He could have been calling about anything. You know, it's, that's what, it's like it's such a vague standard and – it's it's like, you know, when you're a big market team, I feel like these are I see you, you kind of see it across all sports. When you're a big market team, you uh you get like it's like the little guy ha- they they take any they take any step they can to to just give you like a little nudge when you're down, you know what I mean? Like a little punch in the in the ribs when you're down and I feel like that's basically what Indiana was trying to do here. Right. And, you know, to clarify the instant replay thing, you know, like Alan said, in instant replay in the NBA, the call is going to stand unless you have a shadow of a doubt that you can reverse the call. And in this case, unless they literally have a recording of Magic Johnson telling Paul George, come to the Lakers next year, we'd love to have you in this stage. And at this point, uh, I don't, I don't think anything's going to happen. Uh, so with that said, yeah, let's move on to the NBA at large and, and, uh, a bigger shakeup that happened that may, may or may not affect the Lakers moving forward. And I'm talking, of course, about the, the most recent Kyrie Irving for Isaiah Thomas, Boston Celtics and Cleveland Cavaliers shakeup at the top between the top two teams in the East. 
Um, I personally don't remember the last time we saw such a huge blockbuster trade like this between, like I said, two teams at the top of their conference, not only trading away players, but trading away their key players. So obviously, to recap it really quickly, Kyrie Irving going to the Boston Celtics for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic, and the unprotected 2018 Brooklyn pick. Pete, what are your thoughts on this on, on this trade? And uh, what was your first reaction? And where do you stand now? You know, this is a take I haven't heard from a a ton of people on it. I actually like the trade for both teams. I think that um, Mm -hmm. from Boston's perspective, they weren't going to re-sign IT, at least to the kind of contract that he was going to demand. He also, they have more knowledge of the hip issue that he has than anybody else does, and he still has to pass a physical, and boy, wouldn't that be interesting if he failed that physical. Um, But... uh, you know, long term, I, I think they bought themselves an extra year with a better player in Kyrie. Um, I, I'm actually a, b- a big fan of Kyrie, and I think that the distinction between him and and Thomas, who's a good, very good player in his own right, is we've seen that like Kyrie can get, uh, Kyrie can score when everything bogs down, and can score at will at times in the highest pressure situations that there are. Now he's not a true point guard necessarily, um, but he's enormously efficient he's fairly young and then they have a, a fairly decent shot at re-signing him um now the argument on the other side is yeah but they gave up the brooklyn pick well i think that they've been uniquely positioned to overpay quote unquote for a guy to get the guy that they wanted and i think brooklyn has a decent chance to be a a, a solid you know like they're not gonna make the playoffs but um you know i think that could be a high 20s type of win team and could be the, you know, that could be the sixth pick and really in Boston's position, uh, you know, and that's what I think is likely fifth or sixth type area. And in Boston's position, you know, what value does that have as a player, right? Like that guy's going to have value being able to flip them, flip him for somebody else. Um, I think they're going to miss Crowder. I think it's going to be, uh, I think they're going to have a hard time defending, uh, uh, you know, LeBron in the, the conference finals, but I also think Crowder is closer to the type of guy that you can replace or hopefully in, you know, not necessarily hopefully it's the Celtics, right? But, you know, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum becomes the type of guy, guy that can uh, absorb some of those responsibilities. From Cleveland's end of things, they're obviously building for uh, a post-LeBron life, which is looking more and more likely as every day goes by. Um, they also gave themselves a decent player, you know, good player in Isaiah Thomas to where it's not totally out of the question that they can win the East, right? I, I'd still, in a seven-game series... I'd still probably take them over the Celtics because they have LeBron, right? Now, I think they've diminished their chances of beating Golden State, but I don't think that was all that great in the first place. Uh, and on top of that, they gave themselves a, uh, you know, Crowder's a solid player. Uh, Zizic is, you know, depending on, I think he's kind of an antiquated talent um, that would have been, you know, really good 10, 15 years ago. But he's got some ability. And then you've got that, you know, Brooklyn pick to stack on top of whatever you can do going forward. So I thought considering the position, especially Cleveland's position of Kyrie having demanded a trade, saying I'm not even coming to training camp and, and all that, I thought they did well from themselves. And I understand why Boston did it as well. Right. I think, Tommy, you actually agree with that take, right? You were the first to say out of us that you believed it was good for both teams. I, I 100% agree with everything Pete just said, actually. it It's so rare, and like just to echo a little bit again what he just said, what Pete just said, to see two powerhouse teams in the same conference make a trade with each other after like appearing in the Eastern Conference Finals against each other, like, I, I don't know if that's ever happened or like in any conference, you know? So it's, it was, 
that was one weird circumstance. The second weird circumstance is Kyrie Irving demanding a trade. And between all of that, to get to a trade where both teams come out winners in different ways, I think is is uh, really amazing, especially given all the like lopsided trades we've seen over the like you know Paul George and even the Jimmy Butler trade. Um, I know it was a little bit different because Kyrie had two years left as opposed to you know Paul George, but. It is so rare to see it work out for both sides. You know, Cleveland gets their, you know, they still get their scoring. They get an extra defender and extra depth on the wing. Um, they get a pick in case LeBron leaves. And if he doesn't leave, you know, they they uh, have that asset now. But I think they, they're probably planning on maybe him leaving. So they, they have that pick, which is great for them for the future. Uh, to ease the transition a little bit better than it was last time LeBron left. And on the flip side, Boston gets... Boston gets Kyrie Irving, who is, you know, I know Isaiah Thomas had an all-star. He's an all-star. And at times he was playing like an MVP candidate type player. But I just, I can't help but think, and and I'm going off of just like instinct and I have no numbers or anything in front of me. But if I'm Danny Ainge, I just at some level, I have to think like, okay, is a 5'9 point guard going to take me to the finals and win it for me? And... I know it's like, you know, maybe a minor uh, uh, discrepancy there, but like Kyrie Irving is 6'3". He can at least, I know he's not known as being like a great defender, but to me, just instinctually, he has to be better than Thomas just on size alone. And you get, you know, a player who can score just as well, who might be an, a better isolation player than what you had, which I know that's not the type of offense you're trying to run, but that's the type of offense that, you know, in crunch time of playoff games, you're going to need a guy to do that. Um, and you get one of the best at get one of the best guys in the league at doing that, in, 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 you know, as part of this trade. And so I think it, it was really a, a win-win for both teams. And I'm excited to get the new 2K and see how things play out. And they're going to have to uh, reissue those 2K covers and change Kyrie Irving to the right. Celtics jersey, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, Pete, I had, a, I had a follow-up question to ask you, though. I think maybe in a vacuum, maybe you could see this trade as, or more people would agree with you that this trade is, you know, benefits both equally. But I guess given the context of what was happening with Cleveland, Kyrie Irving kind of putting them in a pinch and demanding a trade, and then also given what we've seen for you know, trades that happened prior to this with, you know, Jimmy Butler only fetching Zach Levine and the number seventh pick or whatever. Do you think, though, that um, Celtics fans have um, warrant to kind of, you know, throw out those fire Danny Ainge, we gave up too much, we overpaid? I mean, do you think they overpaid, even though you can also say at the same time, I think this benefited both teams? Uh, it's a fair point if if you consider it within the context of the, the rest of the market. Uh I think, though, you have to – so, for example, in Chicago's instance, they were in a bit of a of NBA purgatory with, with Butler in that they were nowhere near a contender and they didn't have much in the way of uh, routes to getting to contention with Butler. But having Butler in and of himself makes them too good to get kind of one of those studs at the top of the draft. So, to me, they looked like a perpetual, you know, sixth to tenth type of seed uh, – over the next couple of years with Butler. And I, I don't think they got enough for him, even in that context. But, uh, but I think that that was a, a trade that they needed to make, uh, as a result of that. Uh, but they definitely could have done better. And I've, I've heard they actually had, you know, better offers out there. Um, mm-hmm. 
the same thing's true with Paul George, right? Where that's been the, the story around the league. Uh, and, and Pritchard didn't want to give in to, you know, to his demands to come to LA or for whatever reason, they couldn't get a Boston deal done. Um, right. you know, but, but yes, the, the, uh, the, I'd say that the Kyrie trade is more equitable for both teams and the Butler and George trades were steals. And I think that it's hard to, if, if you're expecting, like the midpoint of deals to be, you expect your GM to get a steal every time, especially when he, you know, pulled off the mother of all steals, you know, in 2013 with the Brooklyn trade and with Garnett and Pierce. I don't think that's reasonable. I think both sides got something out of this, and I, I don't think that they, um, you know, I, 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 if they overpaid, it wasn't by very much. And in the grand scheme of things, they needed a guy like Kyrie because, as, as Tommy said, you know, he's a better isolation player than anybody that they have, and he's one of the few guys in the league where him in isolation is actually a good play. Like, we think of isolation as bad plays because it doesn't return much in the way of points per possession. But if you put the ball in just a few guys' hands, and Kobe was one of these guys uh, during during his prime, that can get, you know, one point per possession in a half-court court, uh, situation and above. And Kyrie, I think, is at like 1.12 or something ridiculous like that in ISOs. Then all of a sudden, like when teams start switching everything, which is when you have to become more reliant on your isolation offense, and then you got a big switched on to Kyrie. Come on, man. It's over at that point. So, you know, having a guy that can right, do right. that, they didn't have a guy like that, even with Isaiah Thomas. So, I don't know. I, I get I get your, your point, but in the grand scheme of things, I think Boston did well. Yeah, and to add on to that, you know, Boston still has the Lakers pick if it falls within two to five uh, this upcoming year. And then if, if that conveys to Philadelphia, they're going to have the best version of either Philadelphia Sacramento 2019 unprotected or Philadelphia's own pick. So they still have assets to uh, play around with, including Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as well. So which is probably why uh, it gave them license to finally jettison off this pick, even without protections. Um, I think we can all agree, though, that... Cleveland made out much better than any any of us thought, right? Oh, yeah. Given their circumstances. Absolutely. So, with that said, I'll turn it over to Alan and say, do you think this makes it more likely or less likely that LeBron stays in Cleveland, Alan? Given the fact that, oh man, this is a better haul than any of us expected. You're getting every you're you're filling out all cylinders pretty much from winning now to building for the future, maybe doing both and convincing LeBron, hey, we're set up for the present and the future. Just stay. So, what are your thoughts, Alan? I honestly think it's like a 1% better chance that he stays, so pretty statistically insignificant difference because, you know, all the reasons that people have thrown out there for LeBron wanting to leave really don't have to do with basketball. So uh, while this does help things presently, um, you know, one could argue that, or in the future for sure, I don't know if this is really going to sway LeBron to stay. Um, so if I'm a Laker fan, I, you know, when I first saw it pop up on my phone, I thought, oh shoot, like they actually got the thing done. They found the right window of time, clearly. Uh, Kobe Altman was proactive, so all of that checks the boxes. So I was like, ooh, this is obviously a better situation than what it would have been. So in that sense, I guess it does increase the likelihood of LeBron staying in Cleveland. But if you take a step back from that, I don't think it improves it a ton. Tommy, what do you think? I don't think it's linked to LeBron at all, frankly, because I feel like the reason and all the speculation that we've discussed uh, and everybody's, I feel like, has discussed about LeBron leaving 
is all centered around non-basketball reasons and him wanting to do, you know, th- like thinking about his career beyond basketball. To the extent he's going to make a basketball decision, there were always so many more things that made sense for him to do as opposed to, you know, doing what the rumor was, which, I mean, just to put it out there is to come to LA, right? But if he actually was, you know, making a move for a basketball reason, stay in Cleveland where you're guaranteed to go to the finals. And this, and this like trade doesn't really decrease that chance that much, in my opinion. Like, I still think Cleveland would make it to the finals again, like this coming season, assuming neither team makes any additional moves. Um, Go to the Spurs, you know what I mean? Go to, like, another team that has cap space. The LeBron leaving thing to me was always he just wants out of Cleveland. Um, And to the extent he was going to go to another team anyway, like the Spurs, like, or or another, like, good team, or, like, pair up with another superstar and another team, like, then Kyrie Irving, or, you know, the the results of this trade don't really make a difference for that. If If it's Cleveland's... If it's, you know, not living in Cleveland, the Kyrie Irving thing and – I sorry, the results of this trade don't really make a difference. If it's um, management, the results of this trade don't really make a difference. If it's Dan Gilbert, the results of this trade don't make a difference. All those things are constants, you know, outside of this trade. So I don't think it it's really going to impact him at all. And if anything, if they don't like – which I don't think they're going to, but if they don't like turn around and flip this – Brooklyn pick for like, or try to flip it for another asset, uh, which again, I don't think they're going to, then it's just more of an indication that they see the writing on the wall and LeBron is just going to leave anyway. So, Right. I think that's the one wild card they have in their pocket, right? If they're able to take this Brooklyn pick, attach it to Kevin Love and get Anthony Davis out of that. And then all of a sudden, like LeBron can't refuse that almost. So uh, Pete, what do you think? Well, I mean, if that was the angle I was going to go with, right? Is first of all, you've got to, this pick is the, the value of this pick is going to determine by where it lands, right? And that's why you don't see a lot of, uh, like, nobody's going to value this as a number one pick right now, or even a top three pick, because it could be the seventh pick, it could be the eighth pick, and that's very, very different value. So this is something that, like, is New Orleans going to want to trade Anthony Davis for, you know, maybe a top three pick, or maybe the seventh or eighth pick, along with Kevin Love in his contract? Of course not, right? So uh, I, I think, you know, you guys did a great job of covering the off-the-court reasons, and I think that's far and away more important. But I think even from a basketball sense, like I think this is good for the future, but I think converting this into a guy who's relevant to help LeBron James win a, a championship next year is really difficult, and it's going to be even more difficult to find a guy better than Kyrie like immediately to be able to fill that spot while attaching him that pick alongside a Kevin Love. I just don't see it happening. Cool. Yeah, I think this this gives at least gives LeBron like the best like one last ride kind of chance to go off into the sunset, either winning another championship or, you know, just giving it his best shot with Cleveland here, given that one, he's always had Isaiah Thomas's back from day one, always stuck up for him. And then also Isaiah Thomas played AAU ball with Kevin Love. So they have that relationship. So and then they get the wing defender that they've always coveted because in Iman Shumpert's uh, regression in Jay Crowder. So yeah, it should be interesting. I, I, I agree for the most part with everybody in terms of I don't think this pushes the needle or at all so we'll just have to see how the season plays out October 17th Cleveland versus Boston should be very fun with that said I thought we'd end our show with a with a little bit of fun given that it's summer and we're you know we're still not in that mode of digging too deep into the the weed of things and everything like that but uh we're gonna bring back a game we played last summer called two wrongs make a right essentially it just means Pete you're gonna give us two wrong takes in your Lakers fandom and history 
and you're going to give us one right take that you're proud of. And then between the three of us, me, Tommy, and Alan, we'll do two wrong takes and one of us will give a right take. So Pete, with that said, give us your first, like, this is one bad take that I was confident about at the at the start, but I ended up having to eat crow with at the end. So your first wrong take, Pete. I thought Powell and Dwight Howard were going to be really, really good together. And they were just okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I don't know, did, Tommy Allen, did, did you think that was going to work out as well? Of course. I was extremely optimistic. <laughs> Blindly. Tommy, what about you? I mean, I thought I thought this was I thought it was supposed to be fun, like that Sports Illustrated uh, cover made it seem like it was going to be. And I believe them. I I believe I fully believe them, and things didn't go so well. I I think, like even objectively, it made sense, right? Because Powell could stretch the floor a little bit, and Dwight Howard, uh, we thought was going to be like the pick and roll guy who would you know catch lobs from Powell, catch lobs from Nash. So in that in that sense, yeah, it it made sense. Tyson. Tyson, the Tyson Chandler we needed. <laughs> I, I would have loved to see that happen a couple of years later in terms of like just the way that philosophically everybody saw the game. Like you remember like it was like, oh, my God, Powell Gasol is shooting threes. Let's take Mike D'Antoni back, mm. you know, behind the outhouse and shoot him. Right. And like <laughs> he, and he shot 28 threes that year. You know, this year, Powell set an NBA record for the highest three point percentage of for, for anybody in NBA history who shot at least 100 threes. He shot like 53% from three this year. I, I did not know that. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Right. And and, and, and But in like 2013, we were like clutching our pearls like, oh my word, like what are we doing with Palgasol, right? And so like had we yeah. actually embraced the idea of a stretch four and that Palgasol could do both, right? He could be the like the backup five that could use his beautiful post ability and be a guy who could shoot from three-point range while passing and doing all of the great things that he did from there. It maybe it could have worked better than it did, but uh it, it was maybe an idea that was a couple years uh too early. No, yeah, and it ended up being unfortunately an un- unmitigated disaster, but a lot of that also had to do with not only not embracing Pau's role as a stretch four, but Dwight Howard just not wanting to roll. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say it's it's a great great lesson life lesson in uh open-mindedness. Right, exactly. Alan, why don't you give us your first wrong take? All right. Uh well, being a youngin at the time, I really thought Kurt Rambis was going to be an amazing head coach, and it was simply oh, because he was under Phil Jackson. And again, keep in mind we were what like teenagers, like young teenagers at the at that time. This is not when he was with the Knicks where I thought oh, he's going to be great. Um so yeah, this is like early 2000s, and uh, I thought, yeah, just because he's got the history and whatnot that he was going to be very good, and clearly he has very little creativity, is not very um, amenable whatsoever, so there's my wrong take from back in the day. Cool. <laughs> All right, Pete, what's your second wrong take here? Um, You know, there's so many to sift through, but um, <laughs> I would say that... um. This I'll, I'll go back a little bit on this. I really liked George Lynch, um, who they drafted 12th, mm-hmm. I think, in the 93 draft. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought he was going to be a future, like, solid starter, you know, potential all-star. I was pretty young at the time, but, you know, and he had himself a decent, you know, workman NBA career. But I thought he was going to be way better than he actually was. So, sorry, that may go back a little further than, uh, you know, conversation then inspires conversation from you young bucks out there. But uh, yeah, that's George Lynch. Yeah, unfortunately, I have nothing to say on, on George Lynch. But Tommy, what what is one of your wrong takes? 
so I feel like a lot of these, a lot of the wrong takes are, you know, and I think it makes sense because it's like, like the George Lynch one right now. It's like, we're, because we're Laker fans, we get maybe too overly optimistic about a player. But I think my, I think it's easy to get overly optimistic about a player and then that player doesn't pan out. I think that's totally fair. But the one time I was like the most pessimistic about a player and then he actually ended up being good. So this is like a, a bad take that actually ended up you know, good in the end was sure when we, when we got, when we drafted Andrew Bynum, I was like, you know, obviously at the time <laughs> I had no idea who this guy was, but beyond the draft after Andrew Bynum's second season in the NBA. And I vividly remember this and my uncle like will not let, let me live it down to this day. I, I told him Andrew Bynum is a horrendous player. He will n- never be anything more than a backup, like a, 15 minute, 20 minute a game, like backup bench center. He's completely soft. He can't play. He has no skill. I was just like, he was like my least favorite player and like on the Lakers and one of my least favorite players in the NBA. I don't know why I was so hard on a 19 year old, uh, a 19 year old kid at this time. Laker fans never um, do that, man. That's totally out of character. I mean, by us. the time I took, I, I made this take, he was 19. So I'll give myself a little bit, a little bit more credit. It was like maybe during his second season. Um, but uh, he ended up, like, literally the next year, I don't know, maybe he heard me or something, but he <laughs> ended up coming out next year, and obviously everybody remembers what happened. That was the, the year that he kind of broke out before he had his knee injury, and, you know, we everybody thought we were going to be one of the worst teams in the NBA, and we ended up, uh, or like an eighth seed, and we ended up uh, going on, running off some crazy win streaks, and before he got injured, I think we were first or second in the West, which was which was pretty insane, so... Uh, Andrew Bynum, I'm sorry, but he ended up being a, a very, very good player when he was healthy. Yeah, so let, let's let land upon that a little bit, just because Alan and I have joked, like, can you imagine if Twitter was, you know, alive and well back in 2003, 2004, when he was drafted? I can't imagine what Lakers Twitter would be like after drafting this high school kid who, when they showed the highlights, they kept replaying like two or three hook shots. And I was just like, <laughs> who? Wait, what is well, going it's, on? It was right even now? weirder because I don't know if you guys remember at the time, but I think the main rumors at that time that were the Lakers were linked to, um, uh, Gerald Green. And everybody was like, <laughs> Gerald Green is like the second coming of Tracy McGrady. And he's going to be like an, an awesome wing to like put next to Kobe. And we're going to have like the two best wings in the NBA in the matter of a few years. And everybody was super, super hyped on that. And all of a sudden, Andrew Bynum just comes out of nowhere. I mean, of all the players left on the draft board at that time, because I, if you recall, it was like Danny Granger was still on the board, I think. Like, um, Gerald Green was still on the board. Who was the guy that I thought we were going to take? Uh, there was there were several other players there, and and I was following the draft decently close. I mean, to the extent you could, it wasn't as easy back then as it is now. But to the extent you could, and I had never even heard of Andrew Bynum until the moment we selected him. So it would it would have been chaos if Twitter existed back then. Yeah, and instead we see these two highlights of him with his shirt untucked and a mini fro, looking like Fat Albert putting in hook shots and I'm just like, Oh, okay. <laughs> also when we drafted him, we looked, we Googled him 
and uh, he came up on – we found his MySpace on Google <laughs> and uh, his MySpace account was not yet private and we clicked on it right right at the – I wish we had like screenshotted the entire thing because it was classic. It was – first of all, you knew it was like legit because it was a picture of him in his draft day suit in his hotel room that was posted about two hours before the draft by himself. It was like a selfie and then – in his like, what do you like? He had one of those like MySpace survey things that people have on their page, and one of the things said, "What do you want to be when he grew up? When you grow up?" And he said, "NBA basketball player or entrepreneur," and he misspelled entrepreneur. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, re- I remember that draft vividly because it was a that was a, that was the 2005 draft, and the uh, yeah. it was the highest pick the Lakers had had since 1994, where they took Eddie Jones with the same tenth pick, right? And so Laker fans were pretty hyped up about that draft because you know you didn't have it was it was ten years before you could have a semi you know decent high level prospect that they could draft, and yeah, that year um, I believe that was the year of Sean May as well, who played for North yes. Carolina and had a killer tournament. That's right. I think That's he was right. like uh, the MVP of the Final Four, and a lot of people wanted him. A lot of people don't like admitting these things, but I remember um, Gerald Green, because <laughs> what had happened was the Lakers have a meeting every year with the season ticket holders, right, where the coaches and the front office and whatnot uh, will talk to season ticket holders. And there's sometimes, you know, guy the they'll they'll give some information. And the story at the time was that Mitch had said that the Lakers were really interested in a high school prospect. They wanted to go really young with this. And so the speculation, like you guys said, was, uh, was Gerald Green. He was the guy that, and, and he was the guy, talk about a guy with highlights, right? Like what you saw, Mm -hmm. oh my God, this guy jumps out of the building, like put him next to Kobe. It's going to be all over. Um, and then the guy I actually wanted in that draft who went 17th, who you guys brought up was Danny Granger. So when they took Bynum, even as, as, you know, much of a geek as I was about it and, and, and I followed that draft really closely. It's like, who the hell is this guy? Like I had heard of him like a week before and I'd seen him going like 25th or something like that. Right. in, in some mock somewhere. And, but I'd never seen him play. I'd never seen that. And, uh, you know, at, at that point, I, I didn't really want Sean May, but Granger was the guy that I was like, oh man, that'd be great mm-hmm. if we can get Granger. That was also the year where, uh, the Lakers were rumored to trade, um, they were trading. I forget who the Lakers were trading out, but they were receiving Jonathan Bender. It's Devin George. Yes, that's what it was. Uh, <laughs> getting Jonathan Bender in the 17th pick, which is where Gr- Granger went. And that was like one of the big rumors that like kind of died, you know, at the 11th hour. Uh, so yeah, that was a fun draft. I, it, it's funny because as Laker fans, I've, I've been looking, I don't know if you guys have seen the 2K rosters that have been coming out, the all-time rosters. And I, mm-hmm. I tweeted this out today. I'm like, I'm looking at other teams, all-time teams, and I'm like, Holy crap, we're so lucky as Laker fans. Like I'm seeing like Trent Hassel <laughs> yeah. and like Byron Scott is on the Grizzlies. Like he played there one year, you know? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, Byron Scott is like one of the Grizzlies legends, right? <laughs> uh, all these like totally random names, like uh, uh you know, like Charlotte's Rod and I get there, you know, there are a lot of uh, you know, expansion franchises and whatnot, but uh, on the other side of things, like it's funny watching Bynum and Russell and Randall and Ingram and like how we all Laker fans are like 
oh my god, 19-year-olds are bad at basketball, right? And like the whole idea of young guys having to develop is so foreign to us that we don't really know how to watch them. So uh, Mm -hmm. Bynum is one of the classic examples of that. And I thought he was crap too, like the first, you know, year, year and a half. So I'm right there with you on that that mistake. Cool, yeah. Um, So you have two wrong takes from Lakers Legacy. I'll jump in with the one right take we have, and then we'll throw it over to Pete for his one proud right take as well. Um, so my one right take for the Lakers legacy is, and I have to throw in a little bit of context here because my Lakers fanhood fandom kind of started with Kobe Bryant. So I be- I really truly became a Lakers fan and during that 1999, 2000 season. So I'm truly blessed um, in that respect. But so I pretty much followed Kobe's career trajectory more than I did Shaq's. Um, so when the Shaq trade happened, I actually really liked it. And the reason why I liked it was one, um, I, I was, I sided with Kobe in that Kobe Shaq feud. And then on top of it, I knew on the other end that we were getting a guy in Lamar Odom, who I also really, really was enamored with ever since he was a Clipper. And in his time in Miami, I think that was a, cl- that was the closest he had gotten to maybe cracking the all-star team. And I just loved Lamar Odom's game. And even though, you know, looking back on it, yes, we definitely should have had Dwayne Wade in that trade. Um, I really liked Lamar Odom. I liked that we were also getting Karan Butler, who had a pretty much a breakout rookie season, um, his first year in Miami. And then obviously we, we got the pick that would inevitably become, I think, Bynum, right? Um, at the end of the day. Um, but but most of all, I don't know if I don't I don't remember what the prevailing notion of that trade was back then. I, I'm sure people thought that we didn't get enough. But for me back then, I was like, ooh, I, I like this trade, and I think uh, this is going to help us, or this is going to help lead Kobe back to a title team. And actually, it only took us what two or three years till we actually got back to the finals after that, which is actually incredible to think of, um, given how um, that first season looked without Shaq. So. I don't know if anybody like what people's thoughts were of that trade when it happened, because you guys are probably much bigger Shaq fans than I was. All I know is back then I was very adamant about, yo, this trade is pretty dope. And I love Lamar Odom. And I think he's going to be Kobe Scotty Pippen. I was, I was wrong about that, but he was our uh, perennial third man that really helped make everything click uh, for those championship teams. So Alan, what did you think about that trade at the time? Yeah, I mean, I was a huge Shaq fan. My first Laker jersey is actually a Shaq jersey over a Kobe one. Um, so I was extremely disappointed. And as a, however old we were at that time, you know, like we were in middle school, we didn't like hear as much of the news about how lazy Shaq was and, you know, healing on company time because he hurt his toe during company time and stuff like that. Like if that stuff had been going down right now, we would have been extremely aware of it and we would have a more mature outlook on things but then it's very emotional and i thought gosh we're getting like brian grant like who is this guy he sucks like i hate him he's from portland lamar odom's a clipper the clippers are stupid so whatever and i'm like eh, karan butler's like pretty good so it was a really shallow basic take wasn't very much a uh, deep analysis there um so yeah that was my very emotional teen angsty kind of take on things tommy what about you I was pretty pissed. In hindsight, it's like, you know, when this trade happened, how old were we? Like 13? I, I don't even remember. We were pretty young, but. Like barely had the internet. <laughs> I know. So it's, it's like at the time, in hindsight, it's like given that Shaq literally came out and basically said, trade me. Um, or maybe not even basic. I think he literally did say that. So. <laughs> 
the I think in hindsight we got a good trade. We got Brian Grant was essentially like a salary or like a expiring contract. Um uh Karan Butler was a nice young prospect. Lamar Odom, solid solid player. And we got a first round pick that was ended up becoming Jordan Farmer. It wasn't the Bynum pick oh, was Jordan our own Farmer, pick. right. Yeah. Um so we got like a Miami's first round pick, which ended up being whatever, twenty three, and we picked Bynum or Farmar. So given what we got, I mean, look, Farmar was a crucial player in our two championships. Um uh Lamar Odom, obviously crucial player in our two champion championships and six man of the year. Um Karan Butler ended up being involved at least in a trade that got us the player that would get us Pau Gasol. You know, if you <laughs> want to be super optimistic about that. Um, so in hindsight, not so bad at the time. I was ext- I I was pissed, um, but I if I knew what I if I knew then what I know now, and I was as mature then as I am now, I would have been even at the time. I probably would have been like, all right, this isn't great, but what are you going to do? Yeah, and just to be clear, like my reason for being right is purely off of superficial bias as well, because I was like, I really like Lamar Odom. Um, I care more about Kobe. I think he deserves to, yeah, have a take at getting all the shine here and getting the keys handed over to him. And I'm ready to do this. So it, it, it was just happened to be luck that I was right back then when I was like, I like this trade. So, uh, Pete, let's swing it to you. Give us your take on that trade, and then also give us your one last right take. Your two wrongs make a right. So that was a trade that had to happen, and uh the Lakers had very few options on where they could trade him. It was kind of like with Paul George, right? Now, obviously, Shaq was a much bigger star. But, you know, Shaq was like, I'm not going to go play. You're not going to just trade me anywhere. And he and his agent were very much letting it known around the league that, uh, you know, that he wasn't going to do that, right? So they're not going to trade much for him when he was coming up you know, I I remember when he was going to hit free agency, but he ended up signing an extension once he got to Miami. I think it was going to be after that year, right? So teams weren't going to trade for one year of Shaq. They had a couple of options of where they could trade him. The Lakers wanted to either get Dirk mm-hmm. from Dallas, uh, which is one of the spots that Shaq wanted to go to, or they wanted to get D. Wade from Miami. They tried for Wade. They just couldn't get him, and they didn't have enough leverage to be able to pull it off. So all things considered, you know, like, the way that all started was in the preseason, Shaq blocked a shot into like the fifth row and then stared right at Jerry Buss, who was at the game, and said, pay me my fucking mm-hmm. money. And at that point, you know, Buss said, hey, you know, like, hey, we got to move this guy. But the Lakers had just signed Gary Payton. They had just signed Carl Malone for that one run in 2004. Um, and so on top of that, that was the move that kept Kobe. Kobe mm-hmm. wouldn't have stayed with the Lakers. He was a free agent that offseason. So do you, you know, like you, you had to trade Shaq. He would only go to a couple of different places. You got a, the the third best player on two title teams. You got a key contributor in Farmar off of the bench. Um, and you got cap relief in order to facilitate other moves in Brian Grant, which who they later uh, amnestied, I believe. So all of that, man, like they, they did well on that trade. Uh, as for my my last right take, I'm going to keep it keep it old school. Uh, Nick Van Exel, he had uh, a run in the um, 1993 NCAA tournament, and he led Cincinnati to the final four, uh, to the final four, and he was awesome. I'm left handed. <laughs> I was a point guard, um, and, and so he was just like, and he just had so much swag to him. And, you know, I was a teenager at the time, and it was something where it was just like, oh, I want to be this guy, right? And so I watched him lead Cincinnati on this run, 
And then I'd heard he was like maybe late lottery, mid-draft or something. And then I'm watching the draft, and the the coverage was very different. This is 1993, right? And so it was just kind of like, yeah, these are the last five guys picked. So anyway, um, and the and so like as they were getting closer, I'm like yelling at my tiny, you know, vision impairing TV. Uh, you know, it was on TNT, and I'm like, oh, please fall, please fall, please please fall. And with the 36 pick, the Nuggets took a guy named Darnell Me. And I was like, yes. And so, and but I was like, you know, the Lakers still have to take him, right? And sure enough, Lakers take Nick Van Exel out of Cincinnati. I lost it, man. I was so excited, and nice. he turned out to have a very solid career. And 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 this last, um, not this past summer league, but the summer league before him. I got to meet Van Exel and shake his hand and be like, hey, man, you were oh, my nice. favorite. Yeah, and, and he was cool. I was like, you were my favorite player as a teenager. I'm a, I was a lefty point guard. Thank you for all the good memories. And he was real cool about it. So, yeah, Nick, uh, Nicky Baby was my uh, was my was probably my best hit. Awesome. And, yeah, he, he had so much swagger back then, too. I remember people would kind of shave their right eyebrow, too, in the yep. way that he did <laughs> or whatever, yep. you know, to, yeah, to, to have that same style. And then, obviously, everybody remembers Nick Van Exel shooting, like, what? two feet away from the free, free throw, throw line, line. Yep, yeah. yep. I used to do that too. <laughs> he would have been so good in today's game. I would have loved to see him fast forward to today's game. He was my first favorite player, actually. I think he was on some random show on Nickelodeon, and I was like in elementary school, so I was like, oh, this guy's awesome because he's on one of my favorite TV shows, and I used to like raise the roof like he used to in games, and yeah, the swag <laughs> the shadow boxing, there, yep. so. Yep, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, cool. So that's two wrongs make a right. Thank you, Pete, for playing with us. It's really cool to dig back into Lakers history and, uh, yeah, just share our thoughts at the time, how they've grown. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, with that said, thank you for, for joining us on, on this episode once again, uh, for, for, yeah, this closing out August time in the NBA as we, yeah, as we brace ourselves for, uh, the, this crazy season to come for the Lakers and the NBA at large. Um, before you go though, why don't you William Wallace your way out and kind of just send us out on a good note and tell us what you think of this new direction of the Lakers now that we've softly closed the door on the rebuild era, had to make some sacrifices along the way by trading away one of our main pieces of the youth movement. Yeah, what are your thoughts on the, the direction of the franchise? Are we still cautiously optimistic and still a bit snake bit from the past? Or do we just see a much clearer path to a more solidified identity to the Lakers? So Pete, take it away. It's all about 2018 free agency, man. I like this is going to be a fun year. I'm looking forward to covering it, and I'm looking forward to and and this year in particular is all about the kids. This is Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma. Those are the guys who are important, and, and if one of the other young guys can break through within that and, and be part of that, but they got to clear a lot of cap space. I would say uh, aside from those three and maybe even putting Kuzma in there is, is stretching it a bit. Don't get too attached to anybody, um, but I'm glad they were able to pick up KCP and Brooke Lopez. They're all going to make it a more palatable year, make it an easier transition for Lonzo uh, and, and Ingram into his second year and into a bigger role. Um, I'm excited about this year, but the what this team looks like, 12 months from now is going to be very different from what it looks like right now. So I think, you know, we're in, in a bit of a holding pattern. And I know that, like, it, it's not it, – it's disconcerting because we want to be able to kind of be going in a certain direction. But I think this is a one-off year that if they can make it fun, they can, uh, you know, attract those LeBrons, those Paul Georges, and, and whomever else they may be able to get. But uh, that's what this year is all about is the kids. And then in the grand scheme of things, it's about winning the title, and that's going to be decided in free agency next year. Agree. I feel like we're just on the precipice here and we just need to hold out for one more year and it's going to be a fun one regardless of that. So yeah, with that said, 
Pete, thanks again for joining us. Um, if you, I feel silly for saying this because the Venn diagram of people who listen to our show 100% listen to yours. So, but if you, if you still want to plug your social media accounts and any new projects or videos you have coming up, please do so now. Oh man, you, you guys know me, Laker Film Room, YouTube and, and Twitter, you know, uh, hit me up, uh, send me whatever takes you got, any questions you got about season, any observations you got, I'm always happy to chat. And please send Pete your Laker hater emails too, that will soon become number one pop hits on the radio or whatever. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> All right, Pete, thanks for joining us. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon, whether it be on a, on a podcast show or on Twitter. Sounds good, my man. Thanks for having us. Having us, yes, me, all of my personalities, me and the, uh, you know, and my, um, I just missed it. Cool. All right, that's it. It's getting late. I'm going to eat my food. See ya. See you later, man. I fucked that up. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states.